Amen. It's good to have a full crew up there. Thank you, worship team. God is good, yes? Yeah, let him know it. Let him know it. Give him a shout of praise. It is awesome. I just want to, before we jump right into our pastor today, I just want to lead us in a time of prayer. And so, um, yeah, I, I've just been wrestling for you guys in prayer as we talk about what God has for you individually, but also for you as the bridge. And it's the fullness of his glory. Like he wants to show himself to us in so many beautiful ways. And he wants us to see that he is enough for all of our circumstances. No matter how good or how bad life is at the moment, he is, he is the answer to our questions. So let's, let's pray. Let's pray and, and invite the Lord uh, to, to bless us deeply as we get ready to come to the Word. Father, we thank you for how good you are. Singing that song, your love never fails. You never fail. Your good purposes, you carry them out perfectly. And when you seem quiet and hidden, you're still there. You're working. You're moving. You're inviting us in to take your yoke upon us. You are gentle and lowly of heart. You have a great love for us. We see it at the cross. We see it in in the sacrifice given for us by Christ. And we deserve none of that. We didn't earn any of that. There's nothing we could do. Father, you, you lavish us with grace because you are such a good God. And that word good and the word that we use like awe, they just, they fall short in our language. We just don't understand. We think about just the radiance of your glory. When Moses said, Lord, show me your glory, we, we pray, God, show us your glory. But even knowing that Moses couldn't see all of it, he had to be hidden in the rock, our words fall short. But yet you delight in revealing yourself. You delight in moving and working. You delight in saving and and setting captives free and breaking off addictions and sin strongholds. You delight in restoring what was lost at the fall, restoring what was broken. You delight in us coming to you and proclaiming that you are what we need. Father, we we come now. We, We ask that you would just show us in your word how you delight in manifesting yourself through the spiritual gifts of miracles. Father, I pray just confession that we don't often desire these things the way we should. We repent of not seeking you the way you ask us to seek you in the scriptures, for our desires and our affections to be too small. Increase faith. Increase our desire to just behold you and to be in your presence and to walk with you. Father, we 
we want to know you. And you want to be known. So we're asking, and we know you will answer. We're knocking, and we know you will open the door. We're seeking, and you say that we will find. So as we come now to the word, Holy Spirit, illuminate it. May I be less. May Christ be more. May we just be in awe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, our touch verse as we are talking about spiritual gifts. And now, again, if you're visiting with us, if you're online and you're just checking us out, uh, go back and watch the whole Corinthians series because we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And um, so we got to 12 and we're just picking off the spiritual gifts. We're talking about them, what they are, what they aren't, how the church uses them, how the church has misused them in the case of Corinth here. And so we're on the gifts of healing, or not healing, on the gifts of miracle. We did healing last week. So our... um, Touch verses, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 10, and you can follow along with me as I read. Paul writing to the church, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Again, thinking through the context, Paul's putting all of the miracles in this system of unity in the Spirit. They're, they're together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're, they're one in the Spirit. They're one in the gospel. And in the manifestation of the Spirit, spiritual gifts are given. And so we look at these, and we're trying to understand how they look, and he says, to everyone is given a manifestation. So God's working in each and every one of your lives. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to use you. He wants you to build up the body for the common good. There's a role for you to play. And it's not just come in, pick up the handout, plop your butt down in a seat, sing a few songs, and go home. I mean, that's kind of the American tradition of church. It's actually to come and be built up to see him manifested in the fellowship to see him making us holy, transforming us, that the gospel would go out, that we would encourage one another and people would be saved, their eyes would be opened, their hearts transformed, and this place would be filled with worshipers. And we all have a role in what that looks like. So to each, a manifestation of the Spirit is given. The Spirit works in us, not just in these gifts. There's so many gifts in the Scripture. That's why we were talking earlier, as we were earlier in the series, about how important it is to know the Word of God. Because there's so many different gifts, and they're all Holy Spirit gifts. When we think about the gifts of God, they're all empowered by the same Spirit. Whether they're miraculous gifts that we talk about here in 12, or they're things like hospitality, or or teaching, or others. They're all Holy Spirit gifts empowered. So Paul talks about miracles here. So it's an interesting phrase that he uses here. 
It's a working of miracles. Now, the word in the plural, it's written in plural. It's actually translated workings of powers. Now, the Greek word is an ergon dunamis. So dunamis is something we see in Acts 1.8 where it says this, but you will receive power. That's dunamis, power. We get the word dynamite from that. That's where we get our Greek word. That Greek word gives us the English word dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice, this power, this working of powers, is through the Holy Spirit. It is His power. The point is is that the gift is is of the Spirit. It's powered by the Spirit. It's not our own. He's the one who brings this into manifestation. He's the one in these circumstances that moves, that that works in our hearts, that we're thinking, God, what are you doing in this moment? Okay, I'm going to pray for this. I feel like you want me to pray for this. And then God works in those moments, and, and miracles happen through those prayers, through those times of interaction. He's the one who brings this about. We don't just Go around and be like Oprah and be like, you get a miracle, and you get a miracle, and you get a miracle. Like, we don't do that. It's, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's His power. How are we witnesses? By His power. So when you're, when you're scared, when, when I get up here and say, now you need to be sharing the gospel with your friends, families, and neighbors. You need to go out, and, and you're like, I don't want to talk to them. Like, your knees are shaking. You're like... It's by the power of God that you get that courage that wells up and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to say. And then you sit down and you're just taking that step. And what happens? The Spirit gives you the words. The Spirit calms you. The Spirit gives you the power to be an effective witness. It's stepping out in faith. It's making ourselves available. Miracles, the manifestation of miracles is is of the Spirit, but it's making ourselves available. This definition of miracle you have it on your handout by Wayne Grudem. It's this. A miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Now, you should have some, some lines, and we're going to, uh, some words underlined there uh, in your handout. Uh, the words less common, God's activity, he arouses creates awe and wonder, and it's a witness to himself. And we're going to look at that. But as we talk about miracles, this is one of those areas because people say, well, I don't see this in the everyday. This this must not be what God does anymore. He doesn't act this way. I guarantee if you just have some conversations with other brothers and sisters, and you just talk about things you've prayed for and how God just so happened to turn a heart of somebody or just so happened to open that door or just how the circumstance worked a certain way or something like, I just can't explain it, but that just, uh, it just happened. Like, we see miracles all the time and we don't even realize it. We don't label it. But Paul talks about even greater things. So there's little miracles we see all the time and we seem okay with those. Those are okay. But Paul's saying, yes, and... And Wayne Grudem says, look at this, it's, it's something that's less common. It's his activity. He's arousing awe and wonder. He's creating a witness. But opponents would say, I don't know. I don't know about this miracle thing. It's, it just seems like maybe it was just in the Scriptures. Maybe it was just for the apostles or the early church only. Like they needed it to authenticate 
the gospel. Anybody know how many were in the upper room the day of Pentecost? Just 120. 120. 120 people saw the resurrection of Jesus. How many of you saw the resurrection of Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay. Who do you think needed miracles to to authenticate the gospel more? The 120 who actually saw the risen Lord or us today? (laughs) I think we do, right? It's a weird argument, don't you think? Oh, they needed it in the early church. They needed this, like to authenticate this message of Jesus. It's like, you have people who saw the risen Lord, who saw him, who saw the dead raised when he was raised, who saw him for 40 days teaching and doing miracles after his resurrection, who stood on the mount and watched him ascend into heaven. They needed convincing. No, they knew that this was a manifestation of the Spirit, and they were comfortable with it. And Paul says, we need to be comfortable with it. Paul's comfortable with it. It's, it's what God does. He's an awesome, all-working, wonder-working God. So opponents say, I don't know about it, and I just want to start knocking these legs out from under it, these arguments. One of the arguments is that it's immature to seek signs. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Like, you know, you really, you know, if you're seeking signs, it's because you're immature in faith. Like, if you have faith, you don't need a sign. Have you ever heard that? So if you've heard that, what's the, what's the reaction? Oh, yeah, well, I don't want to be seen as immature in faith. I don't want to be that guy. Like, no, 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 I'm mature. Like, I, I, I study and read and pray. I don't want to be immature. So, yeah, I don't seek signs. I don't seek wonders. Like, I, I don't ask for those things. And this is an argument. Like, oh, we don't see it. And only the immature would want that. Was Peter immature? Was Paul immature? No. I mean, think about those in the early church. Think about just those in history that God worked miracles through. If you think through the early church and some of the miracles that God did in there, were they immature believers? No, these are actually people. These are the saints in which we stand on their shoulders. They're not immature. But yet there's this argument that it's only the immature because it undercuts faith. No, it, it, it builds with faith. The other thing is it's, it's not only immature, but it's sinful. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 and 39 usually come up when some say this. It's sinful to ask for a sign, and they'll point to this passage. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he hand- answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus is pointing to his death, burial, and resurrection there. He says, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth three days, three nights. That's the sign you get. Jesus, in this situation, is talking to those who have hard hearts, who are rebellious, who are rejecting. They're not going to believe a sign. They're like, show me a sign. And then if he shows them a sign. You ever have that with, with somebody? They're like, hey, prove it. And you're like, okay, well, how about this? And they're like, no, that doesn't count. And they just discount everything. Like, they've already set their mind. They're like, I'm not going to believe it. And you're going to give me all the evidence for it. And I'm still going to say no. It's like, well, no, that's an exception. Well, that doesn't really matter. You know, 
the same thing here with the scribes and Pharisees. They're like, show us a sign so that we can believe in you. And he's like, you wicked people. He's like, just look to the resurrection. That's what he says. Just look to the resurrection. That's the miracle you get. We, however, have a different, um, have a different testimony. It's number two on your sheet. I, I kind of skipped over the, the first couple of verses here. I'm going to Acts 4. I'll go back to the other one. Acts 4, 29 to 31. And it says, And now, Lord, this is, this is the church. They're praying. They're saying, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And look at God's response. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The early church said, you know what? Stretch out your hand in signs and wonders. Give us boldness to speak the gospel, but manifest your presence. Show them who you are. Open their eyes. I mean, they're praying that God would do this, and God shakes the place where they are, fills them with, their, with the Holy Spirit, and they're able to go and boldly proclaim the gospel. God was pleased with that prayer. He wasn't in heaven saying, okay, I'm going to have to answer this one with a no because that's sinful. No, he actually was pleased that they were seeking him, that they wanted him to be on display for the world to see. And he answers them. Back to that first point of immaturity, there's a couple of verses here. We're all immature in some ways, and that's okay. We're all on a spiritual journey, myself included. Haven't arrived. I'm always reading, and I'm like, oh, I have to grow there. <laughs> it's not what I thought. Oh, that's different. Oh, I need to shape up here. We're all immature. But does that mean that we don't grow? Does that mean we're like, well, I'm immature, but Jesus, uh, Jesus got it. It's fine. No, we're, like, we're encouraged to grow. We're encouraged to become mature. We have to walk in it. So we're, I'm going to say this just on the assumption. I would say the majority of us are immature in spiritual gifts. I would say that's a pretty fair assumption. So what do we have to do? We have to, we have to do what we're doing right now. We have to study it. We have to talk about it. We have to, what are they? What, what aren't they? How do we grow in it? How do we practice this? When the Spirit manifests, how do we respond? How do we encourage one another with them? How do we do them well? How do we do them poorly? So if we understand these things, we're maturing. We're growing, right? So here's a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 12.1, Paul says this, now, according, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. What's he saying to the church? They're using them. They're doing them poorly. And he says, okay, we got to educate here. We got to talk about this. We got to grow in this. We have to mature. So seeking miracles is not a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of growing and understanding. Do we seek signs for the sake of signs? No, because it's not about the gifts. It's about him. It's about Christ. But we, we get understanding and we become comfortable because we understand what God says about them and how they are to be used when he manifests them. 
So we grow in it. We shouldn't be uninformed. The other thing, 2 Timothy 3.16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. I, that's 1 Timothy. I need 2 Timothy. We should know that. That's really good. <laughs> 2 Timothy talks about how all Scripture is God-breathed for edification, that we would all be workers built up for every good work. What are they supposed to do with the spiritual gifts? Good works. These are good works to be done in the body. These are things that we are to grow in. So it's not immature to seek it and understand it, and it's not sinful So let's look at our definition again. Can you put the definition up one more time for me, please? Uh, Wayne Grudem's definition. A miracle is less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. So it's less common. It's not something that happens in our everyday, our day-to-day, but common enough that it's part of the Christian experience. So I want to point that out. It's, it's not in our everyday that we see these great miraculous signs that, that Paul's talking about here. If God chooses, man, that's going to be one heck of a month for you. Like You're just going to be like, oh, every day, something. He can do that. It's not something we normally see in our day-to-day, but it's common enough that you should say, yeah, I believe in miracles. Don't start singing that song. <laughs> it's a horrible song. Uh, but you should say, yeah, I, I'm thinking of the secular one. Some of you guys are probably thinking, well, I know that song by Maverick City. That's a great miracle song. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm thinking of a secular one. So, okay. Anyway, um, it should be part of our Christian experience. We should say, yes, I believe. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've seen it manifested in the church. I've seen it happen in other people's lives. God does this. And this is why I'm excited for Saturdays to come and pray. We've been doing that, y'all, for over a year now. Gathering on Saturday nights, worshiping and praying. And if you want to hear some miraculous stories and some healing stories and some prophetic stories, and as we're talking about these gifts, you Come to Saturdays. Come and just start praying because what happens is God shows himself. It becomes part of that common experience. We want to see him more. We want to experience that more. It's God's activity. Secondly, we're completely dependent on God, his prompting, his power. So it's, it's something that he does. We don't command it. We don't control it. It's something that he does. He prompts us to pray in certain things for certain areas for him to be working in. He says, this is where I want you to pray. And by his spirit, he gives us insight. He gives us words of knowledge. He gives us wisdom. He gives us sometimes pictures or a prophetic word. He says, hey, this is what I want you praying for. And we start praying for that. And then he answers it in an uncommon way. And we're like, whoa, did you see that miracle that God did? And it does the next thing, arouses, he arouses. And seeing a miracle, the person is stirred 
and is placed in a moment of unbelief. Something has happened in the world we live in that is quite supernatural. It puts us in that moment where we're like, I don't, did that just happen? Like, God, did that just happen? Like, we're praying, we're like, I know I was praying for that. I was praying for that healing. The doctor said that it's not going to happen. And we were praying, we we're praying, we we're praying. And the doctors come in and they're like, I don't know, but, you know, your tests are clear. Everything's good. You, you can go home. And then we're like, did that just happen? You know, like, we're all together and we're like, yeah, God does that. That's a miracle. It's a miracle healing, but it's a miracle. So in, in that sense, he, he arouses us, he stirs our soul, and we're placed in that moment of unbelief like I just saw something that is not normal. That I just saw God working. He creates awe and wonder. The point is to encourage the church and to create awe. Now, awe is an amazement, a reverence, a veneration. It also means fear and worship. Awe and wonder when you see a miracle. Look at Luke chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Do I have that? Did I give you that one? I thought I did. This is Peter on the boat, and I may not have given you this one. I was so excited for today, I missed the scripture. Luke chapter 5. Jesus tells Peter to sit out in the deep waters for a catch, and it says, but when Simon... And, and they had the catch, and they're signaling to their friends to come and help them, and they start bringing in all these fish. That's, that's the miracle part. This something nat- unnatural happened, supernatural in the natural world. So they have these nets full of fish. They're pulling them in. The boats are sinking. Verse 7, they signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled, the, filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What happened? He created awe. He created awe. He saw the Lord, and he's just like, I I have no business being in your presence. I, I see what you just did. I have no business being here. You know what's awesome about that story? Is that he says, Peter, you have every right to be in my presence because I want you in my presence. I'm going to call you to be fishers, a fisher of men. So come be with me. And God calls you. We, we see the awe and we're just like amazed. Like, God, why would you do that? Like, I can't believe you're doing this. I have no business being here. And what does God respond with? Come follow me. Come be with me, though. Like, come be with me. I want to show you more. I want you to show other people what I'm showing you. I mean, thinking about that is just an awesome thing. And that word awesome, like here is love and grace for us that we don't deserve. Through the gospel of Jesus, he calls us to himself and he says, I want to show you things. I want to create awe. I want to create wonder in you that you would worship him as he deserves, that you would see what he is showing you, and that is himself. 
And that's the next one. It bears witness to himself. The miracle always points back to the person of Jesus. Miracles don't point to us. If someone is working miracles and their name is being glorified, you need to question that. You need to question what spirit is at work there. Because in the, in the right way, the Christian is not exalted. Christ is exalted. His fame is exalted. It points people to their need for the Savior. It points them to someone greater, not the one who had the miracle manifested through them, but to the one that does the work. The Holy Spirit points to the Son. He testifies about the Son. The miracle always points back to Christ. If it doesn't, it's being abused or it's in in a different spirit. So I want us to think about this statement that Jesus makes. And this is a hard one for, for people because the church, uh, and I, again, I'm using American church and the different commentaries and different things I read. We, we struggle with this verse. Not everybody does, but I would say us Baptists have traditionally. John 14, verses 11 and 12. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Okay, we're good. I like that. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. All right, Jesus and his works. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Hold up, what? (laughs) Like, I was tracking you, Jesus, and then you said that. It was like, and greater works than these will he do. Wait, okay, not just the work, but greater works because I am going to the Father. He goes on to say he's going to send us the Holy Spirit, a helper in this. We read this and we're like, okay, what do I do with that? What do I do with this passage? Okay, well, there's a couple of things we can do with it. First, we could just reject it in the sense that, well, this was for the early church. This was for the apostles. Those guys right there, like, he wasn't talking to me. He wasn't talking, he was talking to, you know, those right there in front of him. Greater work, yeah, okay, yeah, great. They did it. I saw it in the book of Acts. Yeah, that's good. It's good for them. Yep, okay. He's not talking about me. I, I'm, I get a pass on this. I don't have to worry about that. He's not saying that I need to do greater works or the same works. He's not saying that. So I reject it. That's one option. That's, I don't think that's the right one. The second option is, well, we can define <laughs> what is works and what is greater. <laughs> we kind of start playing word games. Okay, so we're going to do works like Jesus. Well, Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom, so works must just be, oh, it's gospel. It's just gospel. Gospel. Okay, yeah. So you will do the works that I do. Okay, I'm going to proclaim gospel. I can do that. I can talk about Jesus. I can talk about death, burial, resurrection, tell people the new life in Jesus. Okay, those works. Like, we're not talking miracles. We're not talking all the different things. We're just talking gospel. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, so that's how we're going to define works. And he says, and greater works. Oh, well, how do I do greater works? Greater must just mean scope. It must just mean because Jesus is one guy, and he only was in Galilee, and he only served in that area. Like, there's only 120 at Pentecost in the upper room. I mean, today we have churches with like five, ten thousand people. Come on, like, that's greater. Like, we've done more work. We've gone to the ends of the earth, like he said. We've done all of that. So I'm going to define works as gospel, and I'm going to define greater as just the number of churches we start and the number of people that come to salvation. Like, so that's how I'm going, to, I'm going to define that. And that works for me. Like, I'm really comfortable with it now. Like, I like it now. 
I don't think that's the right definition either. <laughs> I think it's number three option, and that is we receive the word as Christ spoke it, and we allow God to sort it all out. We just say, okay, I don't know how that's going to look, <laughs> but I trust you because you're a good God, and it's your spirit, and it's your kingdom, it's your will be done on earth that is in heaven. It's you who are being glorified, not me. So you have works for me to do that you've ordained from the foundation of the world, and those works include some of this stuff, and even greater. And it takes us to this on your, on your outline. What are those works of miracles? What can they be? They could be healings. But not just healings, but healings are miracles. So they go hand in hand. What did we say last week? Most often we see spiritual gifts working in tandem, together. You usually don't see one all by itself. Usually you see them together. So healings, those are works of miracles. Raising the dead. We struggle with that one, don't we? Raising the dead. Like, okay, spiritually I like that. He raised me to new life spiritually. We're talking raising the dead. I'll just let you sit with it. You have to believe it or you don't. I mean, abundant provision. That's like the feeding of the 5,000. Or it's like George Mueller who opens an orphanage and never asks for one dime and just prays and God brings the provision. The abundant provision that he provides. Those are miracles. Nature occurrences. These are just some of the ones we see in Scripture. Water to wine, stilling a storm, causing rain to stop, causing rain to start. When I was in, can you go back so they don't get ahead of me? Uh, when I was in seminary, this uh, stilling a storm, uh, there was a guy, and I thought he was weird in seminary. I'm just going to be honest. Like, I was not walking in spiritual gifts. I was like, I was getting educated, so I was being told, okay, this is what these mean, and this is how this works, and that doesn't happen. And there was one guy that was there. I took night classes, so I got to meet all the guys who are in ministry, walking with Christ, doing different things, come to seminary because they're trying to get a degree, and, like, they're asking the professors practical questions about ministry. They're like, okay, I have this person in my office. They're crying about this in their life. There's this brokenness. Now you tell me how the Trinity doctrine supports what they're going through right now. And the professor's like, well, you know, like, yeah, I want to know how this applies. Well, we're talking about these kinds of things in our systematic theology class and uh, what God does. Or, and this stilling the storm story comes out of one of the students. And the guy was talking about how he was ministering. He was from overseas. He was from uh, Africa. And he said that they were going to uh, have this evangelistic service and this thing that they were going to do in one of the villages. And it was a perfectly sunny day, and they had been praying and praying and praying. And it was a very hard area and they just knew, God's going to move. God's doing something today. And they were on their way in, and they said, as they approached, it's like the weather just changed. All of a sudden, it's dark, and, it's, and they could just see like the rain coming, like that wall of rain coming. And he says, well, 
let me add that this is the dry season. Like, this isn't supposed to be happening. And we all see this, and we're like, this isn't natural. This is of the enemy. He's coming to deter us. He's coming to stop this. So he said, so we just grabbed hands, and we circled up right there, and we just prayed in the name of Jesus, and the rain dissipated. As quickly as we saw it come, he said it left. So what do all of us seminarians do? Yeah, that's a good story. <sighs> yeah, this man is saying, no, he can do those things. Another missionary story was, again, this is a, a missionary from Africa. They were going to do baptisms in the ocean. And on the, so west, on the east side of Africa, I guess that's the most shark-infested waters, from my understanding, in certain parts of the of the ocean there, and they were going to go out into the ocean and do their baptisms, and people were like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And he said it was funny because he, he had all these guys from uh, the North Carolina Baptist Convention with them, and they were like, we're going to do baptisms in the ocean. They're like, dudes, this isn't safe. Like, we should just like do it somewhere else. Like, so you're going to go out there and have a shark attack, and <laughs> the guy says, the pastor who was baptizing that day turned to him. So he's telling the story. He said, like, we shouldn't be doing it. We shouldn't be doing it. He says, a pastor turns to me. He says, sharks fear the power of God. And then they go out and they baptize them all and they all come back in. And then they're like, okay. And it's just like, that's the kind of faith that these early church and even people in the church today, we should be just pressing in. We see these different types of miracles, natural miracles. Okay, next slide, supernatural. Deliverance from evil spirits. We see this in the scriptures where, where evil spirits are cast out. It still happens today. It still happens today. There's even miracles of judgment. Now these, these I don't believe that we're practicing in the church. We're to build up and to edify, but they're in the scriptures and they are miracles that God did, and I want us to just draw your attention to it. There's, there's judgment. There's the cause of blindness. The one who was opposing the gospel, Paul struck him, Elemus, with uh, blindness. Cursed him, and, and God struck him with blindness. Death, Ananias and Sapphira. Lie to the Holy Spirit. Peter has a word of knowledge. How does he know? He just knows. God told him that this is a lie, and that it wasn't to Peter. He says, you didn't lie to me. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And now the men are coming to bury you, <laughs> and they fall over dead. So we see these miracles. We see God's working. He's powerful. He's awe-inspiring. Of, he wants us to see him. He wants us to be in awe of him. He wants us to worship him. He wants to be in our lives. He wants people to know him. Here's the point. When we see a miracle, it's the manifestation of the Spirit of God among us. That's the point. When we see it, it's saying God is in the midst. He's here. So when we wonder, is God really here? Yeah, he's here. And sometimes he wants to make it really clear that he's in our midst. He's working. But is this really something for today? That question keeps coming back. Is this miracles? Is it for today? Is it really for today? So I'm going to give you two testimonies. First is Paul's, Romans 15, Romans 15, 18 and 19. For I will not 
venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around the around to Lyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So Paul's saying, I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. I, I've spoke and I did the, the ministry, those words and deeds. But then he also goes on to say, it's by the power of the Spirit, including signs and wonders. So Paul says, this is normal in ministry. I saw this in what God was doing as I went and ministered he showed himself in various ways at different times. And Paul's not saying this is of me. He's saying it's of God. He's done this. So Paul says, yeah, it's normal. That's, that's normal ministry in his mind. What about God's testimony? What does God say to us? Acts chapter 14, verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Here it's the Lord saying, I granted signs and wonders to be done to be a witness, to display my glory before those who are hearing the gospel. God's saying, this is what I do in ministry. They were there for a long time speaking boldly, and I bore witness to it, and I showed these things. So we have God's testimony. We have Paul's testimony. Like These are things that we are growing in. Now, in that passage, if you continue in Acts and you keep reading, not all of them received the gospel. They saw these things, and some of them rejected it. Miracles don't always produce saving faith in, in those who witness them. But that's not because of something at fault with the miracle or because miracles are inherently dangerous or any such idea that they're, they're lacking. It's simply because people are extremely hard-hearted and calloused and spiritually blind. They see it and they reject it. It's like the Pharisees and the scribes when they ask Jesus for a miracle. So let's, let's wrap up with a couple of thoughts here. John 10, 37 and 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, this is Jesus speaking, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So Jesus says, how do you know I'm the Son of God? How do you know that the Father's with me and I'm with the Father? Look at the works. Just look at the works. If you don't want to receive the message of the kingdom, look what God's doing. Look at these works that he's doing. So just as the works of Christ showed he was united to the Father, He's also saying later in his high priestly prayer that he is in us and we are in him. And so our Jesus who entered this world, who ministered to humanity, who, who created the church by his sacrifice on the cross, he is a miracle-working Jesus. So if he empowers us, then we should be at liberty to walk in the gift. It shows who he is. Don't believe my gospel, that's fine. Don't believe the words I'm saying, that's fine. But look what God did. We prayed for you. We prayed about these things. Look what God did. Don't believe that Jesus, fine. But do you believe now? Look at the works. He is in me. I am in him. He is in the Father. The Father's in him. We're all one. And he's given us the spirit. The unity 
that we have with Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5 is one more example. Another church says, He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Removed by faith. Removed by faith. We hear the word and we believe and we're moved by faith. And he manifests himself in it. So Paul says, was it because you had the right doctrine, because you said the right things? No, he said it's because of the Spirit and because of faith you see God working. The same is true today. The same is true today. So God is performing miracles. And these were being performed by hearing with faith. The same thing is in view in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this works of powers. Uh, it's the same thing in Galatia as it is in Corinth. The church is working in the Spirit. We are to work in the Spirit. We are to be full of the Spirit that empowers to create awe and to show Christ. The greatest miracle that we remember every month is the resurrection. The Christ was raised from the dead and gave us new life. That's a miracle to behold every month. It should be every day, but we do it every month. Don't miss what God did here. So in a moment, we're going to sing, and we're going to come, and we're going to take the Lord's table. We're back to the old style, so you pick up gluten-free or regular. You dip it in the bowl, okay? If, if that bothers you, um, uh, I'm just making you aware of how we're doing it. It's back to our old style of, of doing it. We had the little cups for a while, and we're back to dipping it in the bowl. So if you're being conscious and maybe... I don't know, maybe you're, you're thinking about just cold and flu season and all that stuff. You may not want to partake, but you can still, in the Spirit, partake and, and give thanks as we pray. Um, but if you're comfortable, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've professed Him as, as your Savior and your Lord, then you may come and partake of the Lord's table, remembering His sacrifice, His death, His burial, and His resurrection that gives us new life. And then at the end of that time, I'm going to give us a benediction and a few announcements, and there's something to do with that sheet that's attached to your, uh, to your notes, all right? So will you stand with me? Worship team, will you come on up? Worship team, you can take your communion before you come up. Um, when we take communion, we usually have new partners announced. Are the Dortles in this service with us? No. And it's Diane Kearns in this service. There's Diane. All right. Diane is a new covenant partner here at the bridge. So, Diane, if you would like to start making your way up, I'm going to serve you your first communion as a covenant partner. Uh, so if you'll come up here and just wait and after we pray, I'll come down and serve you. And then when you are ready to take the Lord's table, you may come and do so. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this message. We thank you for all that you're doing. You guys can go ahead and take it while I'm praying. <laughs> and we thank you for uh, just how good you are and how you move, and how you work, and how you manifest yourself. And God, we don't want to be ignorant of these things. We want to walk in them rightly. We're growing. We're maturing. Increase our faith. And Father, may you be glorified in the body. May you just create awe and wonder in this place. And may we take that message of hope to those around us that there was a 
Savior who saw them, saw their need, who came, took on flesh, went to the cross, took their sin upon himself, died for them, was buried and was resurrected on the third day. And if they would repent of sin and receive the grace of mercy that he extends, the forgiveness that he extends, they would be new men or new women with eternal life, that they would have that new life miracle created in them and that you would place your spirit in them. So, Father, we pray. We pray that you would just move us with boldness, as the apostles said, that you would keep us speaking with boldness and that we would go and proclaim this and that you would show yourself in signs and wonders to the community around us, that they would see you, Lord Jesus, and be saved. So we come now remembering the resurrection and giving thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray.